I've been parts of many teams in our lives, and uh, generally they've been based upon our performance, whether we were fast enough, smart enough, or had a skill or an IQ, allowed us to be on teams. And as we walk through the book of Colossians, Paul's given us all these ways that we can live out our faith. And today he reminds us of this, that we have a certain way that we should dress. There's things that we should put on, um, characteristics that exemplify Christ. And, and so he uses this analogy that we need to get dressed. That we need to properly be dressed in a way that reflects Christ. And, and throughout my life, I've been part of many teams. And there's nothing like Jersey Day. There's nothing like the day when you've made the cut and you go to this practice in the the equipment manager or the coach or the assistant coaches at the end of practice brings out the jerseys or whether it's in the locker room or on the playing field and and so it has your name and then you get your uniform there's something pretty special about that and I can remember through the early days of junior high I can remember coming home from basketball in junior high with um, my stepfather in the station wagon and I can remember having the uniform and just excited and showing him and wanting him to see it and I can remember being seated in the station wagon and then taking that uniform and then putting it on, having it on me. There's something special about being connected to a team because it said that I'm part of this team. And so the same is true for us as, as believers. We are part of a team. And sometimes we forget that. We feel like we're all alone. The enemy wants to pull us away and alienate us, but we are part of a team. A couple of Friday nights ago for our men's ministry here, we had a, a kickoff like we do regularly. And at this men's ministry gathering for Fight Club, we give our team leaders jerseys. And so the guy that made the jerseys, Scott Herring, um, down at T-Zone, actually had them in a pack. And I, I, he brought them. And so we, we had our sizes and we put on uh, these jerseys. And as he handed them out, he was in tears. He said, you know, I've been part of many teams. And. Some I thought were really important, but he said, there's nothing like to be part of a team that wants to chase after Jesus. And so we all just grabbed our jerseys, and we put our jerseys on, and, and we wore them. And there was something about that moment that made us feel like we were all together. We were connected because we have the same jersey. We represent the same team. And Paul is saying to us today that we need to get dressed. We need to put on our jersey. There should be something similar about all of us as Christ followers. And there's this list of characteristics that he's going to walk through and say, once you're part of the team, this is how you play. This is, these are the plays that you run. This is how you win together as a team. We need to become who we are. We, we have this ability to dress like we belong. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what this dress looks like. And turn to Colossians chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 12 through 17. But let's see how we can dress like we belong. Would you stand with me please as we read Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 17. Let's read this out loud together. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Let's read. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You may have a seat. We are children of the King of the universe. Like, actually just say, in Jesus' name, Amen. Go home and think about that a while. Like, that's incredible. You and I are children and on the team of the God of the universe. And Paul gives us this picture. He says that we are chosen, we are holy, and we are dearly loved. Now, just grab that thought for a while and think about this. Before the foundation of the world, before you and I ever breathe the breath, I want you to think. Most of the teams that you and I are part of, we got on that team because we had an ability, a skill, a gift, a talent. And we, in some way or another, we either performed or had to perform to be picked on this team. Yet when God chose us before the foundation of the world, we didn't do one good deed, nor do we have to do a good deed. And the only thing we had to offer him was our sin. God says, I want you to be on the team. So you and I have been chosen, those of us who are Christ followers, who know him personally, we are now on team Jesus. We now represent Christ as one, as a group of followers together. And the only performance that took place was Jesus himself performing on the cross and taking all of our sin and dying for that on the cross and then resurrecting himself from the grave on the third day. He was the one who performed and we benefited from his performance. Can you get amen from that? We are part of his team. We have been chosen and the reality is he didn't want heaven without us, so he chose us, and then he came down to earth. You and I are a child of God. You and I are Christ followers who have an Abba Father who loves us unconditionally. And that will never change. You cannot take that from you. He, it's, it's by grace you're saved through faith. We can't backload the gospel or frontload it. We can't earn it. There's nothing that, listen, there's nothing that you and I could ever do, an imperfect person, to get to a holy God. And there's nothing that you and I can do to keep our salvation. It says that no man can pluck us from the Father's hand in John chapter 10. It's solely his work. We receive by grace. And now we are eternally his kids on this team forever. Like, that's good news today. It's great news today. And then he says this. He said, not only are you chosen, but you are holy. We are holy. Not because of anything we have done but because of the righteousness of Jesus on us. So when God looks at us, the rightness of Jesus is on us. Holy takes on the idea of being set apart from sin and from others. It's this picture. All the people on earth, God chose us. He set us apart from them. There's a difference. There should be a difference between you and me and those who don't know Christ. We have been set apart holy by God. So there should be a difference in the way we live and the way that we live out our lives. I think we can understand the word holy better when we hear the word holiday. A holiday isn't treated like any other day. It's marked differently on the calendar and even celebrated and, and often we get a vacation day. It's not to be treated like any other day. It's a holy day. 
we set that day apart. I'll be honest. It always makes me laugh when I think of Labor Day as a holiday because we don't go to work. It's just crazy to me. Take the day off on Labor Day. Let's celebrate Labor Day. It's an interesting thought. But we set this apart. It's different on the calendar. It's a holy day. God sets us apart from all the other people like a holiday is set apart from all the other days on the calendar. We're set apart, not based on what we can do, but on what Christ has done on the cross. We are adopted into a royal family. We carry great value in his eyes. And then he says this. He says that you and I are dearly loved. Some translations have beloved. It's the Greek word agape love, which is unconditional love. And so think about unconditional love. We're chosen. Our, we are seated with Christ. Our position is with, at the right hand of the Father, far above everything. But we are, we are dearly loved. And so God keeps no records of our wrongs. That's a God who loves you. He chooses not to remember our sins anymore when we confess him. He will never leave us. He'll never divorce us. He'll never speak disparagingly about us. He will always be with us. We never go anywhere without him. He never condemns us. He intercedes for us. He promises to work all things out for good. And everything he does, he has our best interests in mind. He's building a home in heaven. He gives us the rights to his power because he lives in us. He says it's all yours. And the best way to describe it is that we have all the divine inheritance that God himself had. That's what happens when you get on Team Jesus. Go home and sit on that. Wow. Like, that's awesome, isn't it? That's who we are in Christ. And when we were adopted in this family, when we are chosen by God, we are now seated at the right hand of the Father. Just remind yourself of this every week. Our feet dangle with the King of kings and Lord of lords. As Jesus holds the world together, we are right with him, and we have the right and inheritance in the divine nature of God himself. That's incredible. When you love something, you do all kinds of unconditional things for it. I mean, a lot of you have children. We have children. We have three children, Joshua, Hannah, and Isaiah. Now we have a son-in-law that we love dearly too, but there's something about when you have children that when God brings them your way, you just love them. There are moments that you look at, man, I just love them. And that's what God, when he sees us, he just loves us unconditionally. And so because of that, of all these things, because of our position, because we are dressed as representatives of Christ, we are on God's team, Paul says, then be who you are. Play like that teammate should play. Run plays that the teams on that team run. Do it together. Don't go out here and do it all by yourself. Run the plays that God wants you to run. Be who you are. Clove yourselves with these characteristics. That's what God believers, Christ followers, people of the way do. As our children were growing up, we had values that the Brown family lived by. When you're part of our family, Anne and I had values. Our children were very familiar with them. And we had many values. Like, if you're going to be part of the Brown family, these are the expectations. This is what Browns do. These are the qualities. And we had many of them. And I just highlighted. If you were to ask our kids, we talked often about Team Brown. Brown 5. And now Hannah's married. We get Brown 5 and a DeVries. Praise God for that. But it's growing. But we would often talk about characteristics. Like, these are things that we want you. We want you to chase after Jesus. We want Jesus to be your all. But we also talk about these. We would say, 
be a hard worker. Never ever be lazy. Like, be the hardest worker on the team, in school, in the workplace. Never fail because of not working hard. And so we would often say, never have a coach, a teacher, a, a, a boss say, boy, you're lazy. Give everything you have. That was a value be part of this team. We would often tell them this, don't complain, don't gripe. We don't want whiners, we don't complainers. We have everything we need in Christ. Listen, we should have the mind of Christ. Jesus went to the cross, he never whined, he never complained. Rejoice in your circumstances, rejoice in your suffering. We talked about that all the time. And our children have never been whiners and complainers. That's a product of brown family. Be loyal. Like, if you're going to commit to something, finish it. Make sure you stick with it. Stay with it. Loyalty is a lost, lost quality and attribute in our world. And we would also tell them this. Listen, there's no one that could ever be mentally tougher than you. You control your mental attitude. And so it might be difficult. It might be hard. But listen, I would, we would say to Hannah, Josh, and Isaiah often, listen, no one can beat you mentally. It's your choice. And if they do, it's because you've chosen to let them beat you mentally. And then we would tell them this, believe God for big things. Like, even though other people don't believe, let's have faith that believes that this mustard seed can move a mountain. And always be the first one in. So we had these, these, these values, and we would tell them, listen, as they grew up, we would say this, listen, Browns respect their elders. And we would tell them, listen, they're young. Always say Mr. and Mrs. until this person says to you, it's okay, you don't have to call me Mr. and Mrs. But if you see a man that's your elder, you call him Mr. If you see a a lady who's married, Mrs. Value and respect. Those are attributes that Browns had, and our children live those out. And so Paul is saying, this is what Team Jesus is. Not based on your own ability, but because you've been chosen You have all the rights. You have God living in you. This is what Christ followers who have been set apart, haven't been made holy. This is what we're able to do. Left to our own, we couldn't do it. But in Christ, we can do it. And see, look at these qualities. Look what he says here. He says this. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with kindness. Clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves with gentleness and patience. Clove yourself with forbearance or, or bearing with each other. Clove yourself with a forgiving spirit. Clove yourselves with love. And so there's this picture he puts out there. Christ followers, children of God that wear his jersey, should be people of compassion. So what is compassion? How does that play out for you and me in our lives? Compassion, instead of wanting to put others in their place, put yourself in their place. The word compassion is the idea, passion means suffer. The word calm means with. It means to suffer with. It means to be in the picture, be in their life as they walk through a difficult time, encourage them, love them, walk with them, help them navigate through. You remember the movie that Mel Gibson put out, The Passion, The Suffering of Christ. Compassion is calm with suffer. It means somewhere be in the picture and be sensitive to them. Don't let them stay there. Help them see who they are in Christ. Walk them through, but be in the picture. Praying, interceding, encouraging, acting, loving, hugging, touching, whatever it is. Make sure when they look back on that moment in their life, they see you somewhere in the picture. That's what Christ followers do. Have compassion. When Josh was little, He hated 
vehemently band-aids. He didn't want stickers on him. And I mean that. Like, if you put a sticker, he hated it. And I think it comes back when he was about nine months old when we were at a church that we were in. We used to wear name stickers. And you'd put your name. And, and one Sunday, after one of the services, everyone stuck all their stickers all over Josh when he was little. And we say, that's probably when it happened. But he, he doesn't like stickers on his vehicles. He doesn't like stickers anywhere. He, he never liked Band-Aids. He fell down the steps as a two-year-old and went on a lake. Concrete steps. Fell down. When I came home, there he was laying down at the bottom of the steps. Gashed the top of his forehead. He got stitches. We took him to the doctors, and the doctors stitched him up. Our kids have had many, multiple stitches. But as we were there with them, the doctor wanted to put a Band-Aid. And I said, Doc, he doesn't like Band-Aids. And Josh is like... Two years old. It's not happening, Doc. And I remember thinking, Josh, you need a Band-Aid on you. So I believe it was the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God gave me this idea. Jim, why don't you put a Band-Aid on? And if you suffer with, then maybe he'll put one. So I said, Doc, you got any Band-Aids? So I took this Band-Aid out, and I put it on my forehead right here. And I said, Josh, I'll wear a Band-Aid if you wear a Band-Aid. Will you do that? So I wore a Band-Aid for three days, and I didn't have a cut. <laughs> Suffer with, compassion with. That's the picture. It's walking through and standing. And, and, and so Christ followers, Paul says, you have compassion. He says you have kindness. It's the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate, and warm towards someone. It's showing someone they matter to you and that you value them. It has the idea of producing increase in them. A kind act produces an increase. It makes them feel loved. It takes them from where they are and helps them to see that they're valuable. A kind act produces increase in that person. And we should be doing kind acts all, all the time. Random acts of kindness. Have, many of us have been on the receiving end of kindness. A couple months ago, I was sitting in great clips to get my hair cut. Sat down and I went back and you, know, you punch in online and I went in and went down and was sitting there and lady started cutting my hair and, and then she came back and she said, hey, someone paid for your haircut and they even left the tip. Well, that's cool. And I looked around. I didn't see anybody I knew. Someone kind act. Like, that was really cool. Like, have you ever been on a receipt? Have you ever done a gesture? Have you ever just paid for someone's gas at a gas station? Have you ever bought someone's meal without them knowing it? It's so fun to do. Ann and I were on vacation last, we went to Florida last year during spring break, and we saw this older couple over in the corner, and we looked at each other, let's pay for their meal. They didn't know us. They didn't have any idea. So I asked the waitress, waitress came over, and I said, hey, see that couple over there, can we have their tab? Picked up their tab, and we went up to the counter and we left and we paid for them. They had no idea. Like kind acts make people feel valued. It increases them. It, it bumps them up. It produces an increase in them. So those are Christ followers. We, put, we dress with compassion. We dress with kindness. And we dress with humility. Humble people set aside the right to be right. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's placing the interests of others above their own. And by the way, humble people never look down on others only when they're helping someone up. 
Now, let me just pull away and give you some clarity to this, because sometimes this is misunderstood. Like, sometimes you think humble people are weak, or humble people can't speak, or humble people can't be passionate, or humble people can't have passion for Christ. Let me pull away and say this. A humble person does not degrade themselves. Rather, they have an immense sense of self-worth so much that they don't need to stand out above others to validate themselves. You know who you are in Christ. And so, you praise others. You exalt others. When something takes place, you make sure, man, do you see how they did that? Thank you for doing that. You boast. If you're going to boast, you boast in the name of the Lord. A humble person does not boast in themselves. They know who they are. They're confident in who they are in their identity in Christ. But they don't boast in themselves. Humble people, it doesn't have anything to do with a personality trait. It's a choice to clothe yourselves with humility. It's placing the interests of others above your own. Then he says, put on gentleness. Gentleness is strength under control. It's not being weak. It's not like Jesus was meek and Moses was meek and meek and gentleness are the same thing. It doesn't mean that you're not passionate. It doesn't mean that you don't have strength. It's this idea of taking your strength and putting it under control. It takes greater strength to do that than to burst out into anger. Gentleness is another word and meekness is too. It carries on the idea of being tough and tender, not just tender and not just tough. It's freedom from harshness. It's being a gentle Men, boy, could we stay there a while and preach a message? Being a gentleman, where's chivalry in our world? Where has that gone to? Like, it's it's a man opening the doors, not because he thinks less of a woman, but because he respects her. It's a man getting out, and his wife is seated in the front seat, and he goes on the other side of the car, and he opens the door and lets her out, not lovingly. He opens the door and and says, "I love you. Sit down." It's him going ahead and opening doors. It's, it's a man that loves and doesn't run ahead. It, it's a man that's courteous. It's a man that's respectful. It's, it's a man that, 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 that spoils his wife. It's being a gentle man. It's saying, I value you. I don't think you're less than me, but I love you so much. And there, I have so much love and respect for you that I want you to know that I will do anything in love for you. That's gentleness. Boy, the world needs a good dose of that. So Paul says, clothe yourselves with gentleness. And then he says this, like every single person in the room could probably really jump on this one. Clothe yourselves with patience. Here's how I would define patience. Patience is doing life at someone else's pace. Now, when I say that, we often think that means slow. I need to slow down. It's doing life at someone else's pace. It's saying, you know, the way that you do life is valuable. Left to our own, Ann and I, if we were left to our own to walk, I would be 37 steps ahead of her everywhere. I mean, I walk fast. Most people know that. It's just, I don't know that I walk fast. It's just, that's how I walk. I walk fast. My wife doesn't walk as fast as I do. She's not a real slow walker, but she doesn't walk slow. So in order for me to love her and her to love me and to show patience and do life at her pace, there are times that we, we always, and I would say always, I shouldn't say always, but most of the time we hold hands when we walk. But I know my wife loves me. You know when? When she walks at my pace. 
And I don't ask her to. There are times we walk along and Anne's walking as fast as me. And there are times I am moved by the spirit that I just go like this. I pull her back and I say, honey, let's walk at your pace. And I just walk at her pace. I do life at her pace. It doesn't mean fast or slow. It's just saying, let me get to know you at your pace, the pace that you're at. Let me do life. My way isn't always the best way. That's what patience is. It's not being frustrated by how something is done. It's saying, you know what? You're cho- you choose to do it that way. Let's do it your That's what a patient follower of Christ does. It's not always slow. It's not always fast. It's doing life at their pace. And then Paul says this. When you put that jersey on, you put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he says this in verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a what against someone? A grievance. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So how do you bear with each other? You treat others the way God treats you. To bear means, means this. It's the action of refraining from exercising a legal right or debt that, that this person has against you. It's to hold up godliness when you want to give them a piece of your mind. You want to just, the flesh is saying, boy, I'd like to give it to you and tell you. But to bear means holding up godliness. It means refraining from this legal act that I have. I deserve. I have the right. And Paul is saying, listen, clothe yourselves with forbearance. You don't have to exercise that legal right. You have the choice to just stand up under this and to uphold godliness. And then he says this. If that isn't hard enough, by the way, if those aren't hard enough to be part of this team, Jesus, like, then he says this, forgive others as the Lord has forgiven you. (laughs) How are you doing there? Seriously, think about that. How do we forgive as Christ forgave us? Pause and let that sink in for a second. Forgive if any one of you has a grievance against you, forgive them. How can we do that? We can never, ever do that on our own. But because we've been chosen, because we've been set apart, because we're loved by God, because we've been predestined, because before the foundation of the world, we're on Team Jesus, we have the ability, not based on our own ability, but because of Christ in us, to forgive as Christ forgave us. That's hard. Because if we're left to our own abilities... We would choose not to. Let me just pull away and bring it real on my, in the world that, that, that my family lives in. In the 22 years of serving here at Grace Community Church, as it is in your case too in 22 years, there have been some wicked things said about me. And it breaks my wife's heart, and it's been very hard for my wife. And I know that. But becoming a pastor, we knew becoming a pastor and a pastor's wife that it's not for the weak. And God had equipped us for this. So we knew coming in that there would be time. Let me say say it this way. I never had anyone hate me, maybe my sisters, until I became a pastor. I'm just being honest. I never had anyone hate me. 
I was a very likable guy. I, I never had anyone hate me or hate my leadership or write me a letter and not sign their name. I had never had that happen before. But when I became a pastor of Grace Community Church, yes. And, and I've learned through the years, if I, first thing I do, open it up. If there's not a signed signature on the bottom, I just throw it away. But I've never had anyone hate me. But I knew once you become the front lines that people are humans. And they do things that we shouldn't do. And Paul is saying, Jim, forgive as Christ forgave you. There are people today that I know that will see me and my family and they'll go on the other side of the street because they didn't like something that I did in leadership or something, a choice that I made. Now, I've forgiven them. And if I hold that in my heart and you hold that in your heart, can you imagine what can happen to your heart, the resentment? Paul says, rejoice in your sufferings. And we have learned to forgive and not be resentful. And besides, our joy and your joy should not come in our circumstances, but in our relationship with Jesus Christ. How could we ever have a bad day when we have been chosen to be on Team Jesus? Seriously. I have had people mad at me, angry with me, because they say I had too much faith. I have people who are angry and mad with me because they say, you know what, you're way too positive in Christ. You don't really suffer, Jim. <laughs> I said, well, come to my world sometime. It's crazy, but you can't let those things cling and get footholds on you. You just got to keep believing and listening to the Spirit and marching on. So, here's what Paul's saying. As forgiven people, we need to be forgiving people. That's what people who are dressed in Jesus do. As forgiven people, we need to be forgiven people. Think about it this way. We have been forgiven far for far more by God than the people of earth could ever do to us. Seriously. If you have an issue, just, just, just sit, sit here and think about that for a second. Think about what all you've been forgiven of. Like, I, I think about it, and I think, wow, I have been forgiven for far more than whatever anyone could ever say against me and do to me. And if I'm supposed to forgive like Christ forgave me, then listen, I need to just forgive and move on. That's what Christ, Paul says, dress yourself with this. Just imagine for a second if we all dressed ourselves every day with that. Humility, kindness, compassion, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. You see, if we don't forgive, then we'll end up in a prison cell that we have the key to and we will be in ball and chain the rest of our lives and we'll live way below our redemptive potential and the enemy will eat us alive. Forgiveness is handing the case off to a higher court, God himself. And it's saying, God, I hand you the gavel and you release this situation. Forgiveness, however, is not total trust. Forgiveness is free Trust is earned, and it takes time to rebuild trust if you've forgiven someone and they've done something to you. It takes time to, to, to see them come through. However, in the process of building trust, you don't keep reminding that person of what they've done wrong. You see the good in them, and you focus on, wow, wow, look at that improvement. Praise God that there's, there's, there's 
we've moved past that. You don't keep going back and say, yeah, I've forgiven you, but I remember. No, you, you move on. It takes time to regain that trust. But day after day, you rebuild the trust just like you did when you first met the person. Before I met Anne, I didn't know if I could trust her. Now, she looked very trustworthy when I met her. But I didn't really trust her until we built a relationship. And, and I would say things, and I would see if she would say them to other people. And I would, we would do things, and, and then I would ask her to do something. And so we built trust. And, and so this trust was built. And as this trust was built, I began to see, wow, she's very trustworthy, and that's important to me. And I tried to become trustworthy to her. And so we built on it. And so Paul is saying, when it comes to forgiveness, forgiveness is, I'll forgive you if you do something to break that trust. But listen to me, it takes time to rebuild the trust. But you don't keep going back and saying, well, I remember this, you, you've done this, so I can't trust. No, you go back and you rebuild it. And I have seen some miraculous God-restored relationships because people have said, I believe that God can rebuild this and I believe that I can trust you again. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same either. Now, you can forgive someone, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be reconciled to that person. Let me give you an example. Maybe you have a business venture. You've been working together with someone, and this other business partner takes all your money. Now, you can forgive that person, but reconciliation is not necessarily going to happen. You're not going to jump back in and reconcile that relationship. Hey, let's go in business together again. No. Reconciliation and forgiveness are different too. There isn't always, you know what, I'm going to restore and bring you back and we're going to go into business together. Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement. They chose to part their ways, two godly men. There are times that you forgive, but reconciliation doesn't always happen. So why should we forgive? It's a good question to ask. Let me say a few things about that. It will free you from demonic torment. Now hear me out on this. If you don't forgive, then you have just invited Satan himself and the demons to torment your being. Wherever you see unforgiveness, I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you that there is a foothold, a satanic, demonic foothold in your life. You are being tormented if you choose not to forgive. Satan and demons torment people who are hurt and carry unforgiveness in their hearts. Here's why. Satan and demons never forgive anyone and are never forgiven anything from God. God never forgives demons. God, nor do demons ever forgive anyone. They bear a grudge, and they always keep records of wrongs. Demons know all the wrongs. They, they have a list. They remind you of them. They condemn you. They never forget them. And if you and I bear a grudge and continue to keep records of wrongs, and listen, then we are doing what is demonic. And what you're saying is that you are forgiven, but I won't be forgiving others. Satan swarms. 
demons swarm where unforgiveness flourishes. Listen to me, Grace. Let's, let's have a table talk here. Listen, if you're carrying unforgiveness, you have said, Satan, I'm going to give you a part of my heart for as long as you want. And here's what happens. If you give the devil a foothold in unforgiveness, you are poisoning your well-being. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, intellectually, when one area is poisoned, it affects all the others. So how does that play out? A variety of ways. Show me a person that's angry and carrying resentment towards someone and being unforgiving. It plays out in sickness, health issues, poor attitudes, addictions. You can often trace no, I'm not saying every time you have a sickness that you got a demonic torment or cling to, clinging to you. No, but there are often relationships, people who are sick, down, darkness, overwhelmed, can't seem to get out of this miry pit because of unforgiveness. And if you are a married couple and you are carrying unforgiveness, you have said, Satan, come on in. Take a foothold in my life. See, what you're saying is that I want God to treat me in a way I won't treat anyone else. And I want God to give me a gift of forgiveness that I won't give to someone else. You see, here's the problem with it. Because we're selfish. Here's, here's the problem. We think that if we let them get away with something by forgiving them. We think, if I forgive them, then they just get away with it. And so we're more concerned about them and, than ourselves. And so we say, you know what? I can't forgive them because if I just forgive them, God, if I forgave like you forgave me, then I'm just letting them get away with it. Yet God says, I don't want you to forgive them so that they can get away with everything but that you can get away from everything. Amen? See, that's the problem. God is saying, release them. And when you release them, you'll get away from everything. You won't carry that junk anymore because you've handed the gavel off to God who is a perfect judge. And you have forgiven as God has forgiven. Hear me out. Forgiving, given people are forgiving people. That's how we're supposed to dress. Paul says, clothe yourselves with that spirit. You want restoration in relationships? Be the first to forgive. You see, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, you are welcoming unforgiveness. Satan lives where there is unforgiveness. Jesus' words, Matthew 6, 15. These are Jesus' words. This is what he said. If you don't forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Did you hear that? If you don't forgive others their sins, then your father won't forgive your sins or your sins. 
for your sins. This is a big deal. I believe the major breakdown in relationships today is an unforgiving spirit because demons swarm and they look for brokenness and they get footholds, resentment. I know people who won't like something on a social media post if someone puts something up because they have resentment towards an unforgiving spirit. You have just invited demons to swarm in your life. As if that wasn't enough, Paul says this then. Look what he says in verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on what? Love. Which what together? What's it say? Binds them all together in perfect unity. Over all these things, put on love. It's like the belt that holds the pants up. It's the piece of clothing that holds everything else on. He says, above all, it's like you're having this wardrobe on, but you need the belt to hold it tightly. It binds it all together in the virtue of love. And that's where unity is. And this word love is agape again in the original. It's unconditionally. Like, even though I know all this is taking place, I am going to love unconditionally because... I have been set apart and chosen and loved. And my feet dangle with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I am a child of God. And children of God live differently than children who aren't children of God. Amen? That's what Paul's saying. You want to work out relationship stuff? Just read this passage. Live this stuff out. So then Paul says this. He closes it up. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And then he, he uses the word thankful or gratitude three, three times. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. With all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of what? The Lord Jesus. Give him what? Thanks to God the Father through him. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This word rule. If you were to open it up and look in the Greek, it's the same word that we use for umpire. Let God be the umpire of your life. If there's a grievance against you, 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 you've seen baseball games. Maybe you've been the fan. There's a play at second base or first base or third base. Let's go first base. Your son's up. Your daughter's up. They hit the ball. They run to first. The team's on the first baseline, the visitors. They see it, and they're all yelling, out. And then you got the home team on the third baseline. You're part of that. And you're looking at that play, and you're all going, safe. Have you ever been there? It's like, you're looking at the same play. Someone's saying safe. <laughs> Someone's saying out. And the picture is this. It's saying, hand the gavel over to Jesus. But don't let that issue divide you and destroy you. Let the peace of God rule in that situation. Say, Lord, I'm not going to die over this hill with my wife, even though I know I'm right. I'll let you be the umpire. 
It's so true, though. Don't we? We have some of our arguments that we have start over the dumbest things. I have seen, and you have too, viral videos of fans getting in fistfights over their 10-year-old son being called out of first base. <coughs> what the world is going on? So it's this picture. Let peace rule. Don't die on hills that you shouldn't die on. Hand it off to God and say, God, this is yours. I refuse to let this divide us. And then he says three times, be thankful. And let the message of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. You see, you cannot be thankful and critical at the same time. So how do you do it? (coughs) He says, by worshiping. Worship sets your heart right with God. Worship pushes back darkness. Worship expresses our gratitude towards God. Hymns, songs, and songs from the Spirit. Besides, this is our way to say to God, we love you. We're grateful that you're on the team. I love Sunday mornings. You know why? We get to corporately worship our God together. It's a big practice for heaven. Now I say, I told Ann this many, many times. I said, you know what? What if, just, just what if we get to heaven And we want to worship our God because we finally see him as he is. And we are imperfect in every way. And for the first thousand years, he says, you know what? I'm only going to let you worship me in heaven for the first thousand years like you did on earth. And you will want to sing and express and, and show your love and compassion to God. And everyone else will. And you got to stand there like this, like you do on Sunday mornings. I heard someone say this recently, and I totally disagree, and I won't die on this hill. They said this, in our culture today, men don't sing. That's a bunch of baloney. Bunch of baloney. You choose not to. You see, I believe a man that he is the strongest when he worships God unashamedly. That's a strong man. You want a man that's fearless? Worship God unashamedly. And then he closes up. He said, do this all in the name of the Lord. More than words. Put it into service. Serving is the fastest path to spiritual growth. Don't just come and sit. Serve. Team Jesus wasn't meant to sit on the bench. God has gifted us, qualified us, equipped us, set us apart, called us holy, loves us, chose us, Why? So that we can show the world that there is a God and our God is an awesome God. Oh Lord, help us. Help us to grab a hold of the truths that we're chosen, that we are yours. And even as we sing this worship song, may may we worship you, God, purely from the fact that you put us on your team and it's our expression of saying, thank you, Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.